0: أما الله سبحانه وتعالى في كتاب الكريم عمة لما صبروا بآياتنا We're gathered tonight to celebrate the birth anniversary of our 11th Imam, Imam Hassan Al askari alayhi salatu wa salam. When we talk about the concept of Imamat, one of the important ayat of the Quran which talks about it is this ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the term, wa minhum, ja'alna that we have appointed. And you will see there is not a single ayat in the Quran wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Imam or leader. Whether in form of a Nabi or a Rasul, or the Imams, the way we believe, that He has given that choice to the people. Everywhere He talks about, you know, like in the story of Adam alayhi salam, He says, "Inni fil Khalifa." I am the one who is going to appoint a Khalifa on the earth. And so, this issue of appointing the Imams and the guides is actually exclusive right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not not even a Nabi like Ibrahim alayhi salam. You know among the hundred and twenty four thousand prophets we have a hierarchy. There were some who are Mursaleen, the Rusul among them, were higher in rank than Ambiya. And even among the Mursaleen there are five at the top, known as Ulul Azm. Among those five is one Ibrahim alayhi salam. And even when it comes to Ibrahim where Allah says that you know, I have appointed you as an imam for the people. Even Ibrahim didn't feel that it is his right to appoint his own children in that position. Rather he prays, Oh Allah, what about my descendants? Will, be, will they be you know blessed with that position? And Allah Subh'anaHu wa Ta-A'la responds to that du'a and prayer of Ibrahim in a conditional form. La lua ahdi Those who are unjust among them, you know, this position will not reach to them. It is not the people who will reach to the position of imamat. Imamat reaches to the people where Allah wants them to be. Salawat. And what is their function in society? مِنْهُمْ بِأَمْرِنَا They guide the people according to our command. And one of the Imams who actually is, has done this is our 11th Imam. When we um, look at the teachings of the Imam, and I I'm just uh, would like to keep it brief, um, tonight because it is a celebration as well as you know, I didn't realize that when I was traveling, I was fine only after coming back here. You know, you, you see the, um, the the cold has basically caught up with me. Um, when we talk about guidance which comes from the Imams or from the uh, leaders appointed by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala, it takes two forms. Either it is straight revelation in the form of the books. So Quran was one form of it. Or the other form is which the sunnah of the Prophet, which has been maintained according to our beliefs by the seerah of the Imams of Ahlul Bayt. And so when we talk about the sunnah and the seerah of Ahlul Bayt, there are three ways by which the sunnah of a ma'asum is expressed. One is verbally, qawl And this is what is known as hadith. You know, we say hadith of the Imam, which Imam talked about this issue, he said this and that. Another is fail of the ma'soom, the action of the ma'soom. Many times we might not hear, you know, a verbal statement about an issue, but you see the action of the imam. That action of the imam itself is a sunnah for us. And then there is a the third form of sunnah, and that is known as taqreer. Taqreer means, not the Urdu taqreer, which means speech. Taqreer means silent approval of the imam, of an action by, done by someone else in his presence. But Imam does not forbid that. So if somebody did something in the presence of the Imam, and Imam was silent, and if we know that the circumstances were such that if he wanted to speak, or forbid that he could have done it, but he doesn't do it, this silence of the Imam becomes a means of knowing that this is his opinion, and this is a way of understanding uh, the sunnah. So coming to the hadith of the imam, the hadith of the imam can be expressed either verbally or it can be expressed in written forms. And this is where we see for example if you look at risale al of Imam Zainul Abideen alayhi salatu was This is a written statement of Imam Zainul Abideen. So it's a hadith, but in a written form. What about Nahj al-Balagha? Is it a written statement of Amir al-Mu'mineen? No, Nahj al-Balagha is not like Risalat al-Hukuq. Risalat al-Hukuq was written by the Imam. Nahj al-Balagha is a book compiled by Sayyid Razi during the early stages of Ghaybat which comprises of the sayings of the Imam as well as his letters uh, and his sermons. And so, um, so you can have, you know, either verbal statement in hadith or written one. When we look at the life of Imam Hassan al mustafa uh, Imam Hassan al askari alayhi salatu <coughs> many of Many of his uh, communication to the community at that time because of the political circumstances as well as it was done purposely to prepare the community for the era of the Qaybat, where they will not have direct access to the Imam. Where Imam is now dealing with the people through uh, letters. Letters would be sent to the uh, representatives of the Imams, then it will go to the Imam, he will give the answer and it will be sent back to uh, the person who, who was, uh, was sending the questions. One of the um, prominent scholars of our time in history by the name of uh, Allama Baqir Sharif Al-Qarashi, who uh, died just this year or the year before in Najaf. Um, in the biography that he has of the 11th Imam, he actually has quoted 10 letters of various uh, length and topics of Imam Hassan Askari alayhi salatu <coughs> What I'm going to do tonight is just share with you three of those letters on through three different uh, topics, so that at least we learn, learn something about uh, practical issues of life. One is a question which was written by Muhammad bin Hassan al saffar Muhammad bin Hassan al saffar is a very close companion of the Imam, he's known as a Ravi and a Muhaddis. Um, and he's, he's the one he says, you know, he wrote to the Imam, فِي رَجُلٍ مَاتَ وَعَلَيْهِ قضاء مِنْ شَهْرِ رَمَضَانِ اَيَّامِ He says, you know, uh, a person dies, and he has the qaza of 10 days of fasting, of Ramadan. وَلَهُ وَلِيَّانِ And he has two heirs. هل يجوز لَهُمَا عن يَقْضِيَ عَنْهُ جميعا? He has two heirs. Is it permissible for them to do the qaza together? For example, one does five days and the other does. Uh, other five days. So they divided between themselves. The Imam then actually wrote. In the written form, the answer came. The Imam says that the oldest of the two heirs, among the sons, there should do the qaza on the basis of his duty. The duty is on the oldest son to do the qaza of the fast which was missed by the father. And this is where I would like to, you know, take this opportunity to very, very briefly talk about this masala. But it's interesting that this question and answer um, has been quoted by Sheikh Saduq in his book. And there he says, He says, He says, The letters exchanged between Muhammad bin Hassan al-Saffar and the 11th Imam, I have the written copies of them with me. So, Sheikh Sadu actually had, the, had, his, had those letters in his possession. Unfortunately, it hasn't survived by our time. Uh, but this is uh, important to know that, you know, these um, hadiths that we have, you know, they are people who are making sure they are, they are, you know, preserved in one form or another. If not in the real form, then at least it is copied and narrated by, for the uh, future generations. Now, coming to this, this mas'ala about the qaza prayers and fasting of the deceased. What is the ruling about it? We hear about it quite a lot, but I just thought this is an opportunity to refresh ourselves on this issue. Number one, it is wajib on the oldest surviving son of the deceased father to do the prayers of the deceased, which he was not able to do um, or the fasting of the deceased that the, the father was not able to be, do because of an excuse unless or, you know, for example, he slept, you know, all the way through the namaz time. Um, Otherwise, he was a regular namazi person. In those cases, you know, it becomes wajim on the eldest son to uh, do the qaza of the prayers and the fasting. I'll talk about this later on. Now, I'm using this term about the father, father, father. What about the mother? In case of the mother, it is not wajib for the eldest son to do the khaza of her missed prayers and fasting. It is recommended to do that. You might say, why? Well, we don't know the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe he's going to be more lenient to the mothers compared to the fathers. You know, uh, the way he deals with the the mothers is a different way than the way he deals with with the fathers. Now, who is the person? among the heirs on whom it is wajib. Basically the oldest surviving son of the deceased. So if there are three sons or five sons, uh, it is not wajib on the younger ones, only the oldest one. It is wajib on him. And even if he neglects his duty, that obligation does not shift to the other sons. If they come to realize he is not fulfilling his duty, what is his problem? He will have to deal with it. But can they do it? Not as a wajib. Do they have the, you know, um, option of doing the khaza of their father if they want, the younger ones among the sons? Yes, they can do it. You know, it is what we call tabarru'an, out of their own uh, will and their desire. But it is not a duty. The duty is only on the, all son. What about the daughters? It is not even a duty on the daughters. It is only on the eldest son. So even if a person dies and has only daughters and no son, then this, this, this issue would not apply in that case. But again, the question is, if the daughter wants to do the qaza of her father or her mother's you know, prayers, which were missed out, they can do that. There is nothing which prohibits them, but it is not a duty on them. The duty is only on the oldest surviving son of the deceased. Now when I mention this issue that this only applies to the prayers and fastings, which was missed out by the father uh, because of an excuse, not a father who was neglectful Didn't really care about it, you know. Otherwise, to be the eldest son would be a curse, not a blessing, you know. uh, And and this is where we realize that it's it's not that you have to do the qaza of the whole life if somebody, you know, out of negligence, you know, just didn't even care about prayers at all. And this is where um, when we talk about. The recommendation, of course, the recommendation would be there for the father, even if he was neglectful, if the son wants to do it. The obligation is not there, but they have the option or the right to, um, or the permission to do the khaza of the missed prayers of the, of the father, as well as the mother. Salawat. <laughs> If we have a person who dies, while his oldest son was not even baligh, then this obligation would not apply on on that child. Because this obligation is only if the oldest son was of age, as far as the bulugh is concerned, when the father passed away. Salawat pranikbarar. Another question answer again from Muhammad bin Hasan al saffar to our eleventh Imam, where he says that I asked him a question fi Imra'atin Muhtajatan La Man Muhammad bin Hasan al-Safar actually raised a very practical question uh, applicable even now during our days. He talks about a woman whose husband died and she's bec- she become a widow now. And during that waiting period, which is known as the time of idda, she is in need of going out to work because there is nobody to support her. If she doesn't go out to work, then she will not be able to sustain herself and her children. Is it permissible for her during that time, the waiting period, the idda of her husband's you know, uh, wafat uh, to go out and work or not? And the answer was very clear, written in the written form, la ba'tha bi zalik insha'Allah. But Imam says there is no problem in it at all, insha'Allah. And this is again, you know, I wanted to just um, talk about this very briefly. When we talk about iddah, iddah means the waiting period that a woman has to go through after the death of her husband. And that period is four month, months and ten days from the day when the husband passed away. Now, what is forbidden for her at the time of idda is that she should not use any zenith. Uh, what is zenith? Zenith basically using of cosmetics on her body or on her clothes, so no alcohol, no eyeliner, no perfume, no dyeing of the hair at that time. Because she is going through that period of what is known as grief, the idda problem. She should also refrain from wearing the jewelry um, which she uses normally to embellish herself for a happy occasion. So if the jewelry which is there, which is commonly used all every, every day, that's okay. But if she is using those items only for a very wedding ceremony, for example, or a special occasion, or khushali, for example, then those jewelry should not be worn by her at that time. She also has to refrain from the clothing which are considered in her society as the clothings which are associated with happy occasions. Now this is very tricky because this can change from one area to another, one society to another, one time to another. You know, if you look at the um, Hindu Indian culture, you know, the after the husband dies, the wife puts on white sari. This is the Indian culture. And so that Wearing of the white sari in that their culture for them is a sign of uh, grief, whereas in the Western society, you know, white is actually even you know used by brides many times. So it depends on where you are and how the clothings are considered by that orf and by that uh, society. (coughs) It is macro for. a woman who is going through the period of Idda to leave the house without a necessity. And this is where the question of Hassan al safar is there uh, where he's asking that, you know, she needs to work. If she doesn't work, she will not be able to take care of herself and her children. And this is where uh, the issue is that during the four months and ten days, If it is not necessary for her to leave the home, then she should not leave the home. Um, You know, for example, when we talk about those things which are not necessary, a social visit. You know, she has to refrain from that during that uh, four months and 10 days. And it's actually for her to spend uh, the night um, at a house other than her own house for those uh, four months and uh, 10 days. But, you know, going to, um, if the children, for example, would like her to come and spend the night with them, it's not haram. Even if the Karat is there, you know, this is uh, not an issue in that way. And remember when we talk about this issue that she should not go out uh, for a social um, occasion, that doesn't mean you leave her alone. No, you can go and visit her, be with her, you know, to support her during the time of grief there. But the issue of she going to places, this, this is where the karahat comes in. One of the questions I get quite a lot in this case is that, you know, um, where they say, Maulana, we would like to take our mother for ziyarat. You know, we, the father just passed away. You know, this will be a way for her to deal with her grief. Going to ziyarat is not a social visit, and so there is no problem in in traveling for the ziyarat during the time of the (laughs) <laughs> the third example of the question and answer is in the written form. Again, we come to Muhammad bin Hassan al where he wrote to the imam about a person, رَجْلٌ عَوْصَى مَالِهِ فِي مَوَالِيهِ مِثْلَ حَذِّ الْأُنسَيَيْنِ a person made a will. Now remember in Sharia when we use the term will, we are talking about the one-third of your estate. The two-thirds is technically not part of your wasiyyat because you don't even have a choice there. That has to be divided according to the rules of uh, miras. So we actually, in in, in fiqh, there are two different terms. One-third is known as wasiyyat and two-thirds is known as the issue of inheritance and miras. There are two different sections in fiqh which deal with these two d- different issues. And so he's asking about the one-third. He says, a person has, you know, uh, sons and daughters. And when it comes to his one-third of his estate, he is writing that in the name of his children, male and female, same portions. Dividing it equally. He says, is this right or should, should he use the laws of inheritance where the son gets double of the share of the uh, daughter. And Imam said that when it comes to the one third, Ja'izun bihi ala bihi, insha'Allah. That Imam says, you know, the deceased who will and wasiyyat in one third is valid, even if he divided that among his sons and daughters in an equal portion. Uh, there is no problem because in one third, you have been given the right to disperse that, divide it, and give it to whomever you want in whatever way you want it. And this is where we come to realize this issue of one-third, two-third, you know, uh, principle in Islamic laws about inheritance is very important. It deals, it can help us, you know, uh, rectify the situations which we think you know, need some modification as far as the uh, ratio of two shares for sons versus one share for the daughter is concerned. So you have been given the right to write up to one-third of your estate to whomever you want from the family, outside the family, extended relatives or even for charitable cause. The way you want to do it, you have been given absolute right in the one-third of your estate. Salawat. یہ تین مثالیں ہم نے آپ کے سامنے پیش کی ہے انہا حدیث کی جو ریٹن فارم میں محمد بن حسن السفار اور امام حسن السکری کے دربیان ایکسچینج ہوئے ہیں تاکہ تھوڑا اندازہ بھی ہو کہ اس زمانے میں مینز آف کومنیکیشن بدلتے تھے غیبت کی تیاری کے لیے خصوصا اور آخر میں چونکہ بعد ہماری میراس کی تھی دی उसी के बारे में हम एक और मसला आपके सामने पेश करना चाहेंगे और ये वर्बल हदीस की एक बंदा था जिसका नाम के पास और उसने सवाल किया कि बाप मर जाता है क्या बेटी जो है उसको सिर्फ एक शेयर मिलता है और बेटे को दो शेयर्स मिलते हैं तो इमाम ने जो जवाब दिया है बहुत सिंपल है इमाम फरमाता है इन्नल मरअले सालेह हजीहादुन ولا نفقط ولا عليه معقلا إنما ذلك ال رجال इमाम ने एक प्रिंसिपल किया के बाद होती है when the estate or the wealth is divided and transferred from one generation to another what is the principle of division, di- division there is it arbitrary nay no. islam ka ye that hai ki you have to look at the burden of responsibility aur chuke islamic perspective ke lihaz se aap log islamic perspective pe amal nahi karte hain to wo unka problem hai wo shariat ka problem nahi hai शरीयत का कहना है कि जहां तक फॉर एग्जांपल कुछ जिम्मेदारी है जो मर्त पर खुदा इस्लाम में रखा गया है और इमाम जो मिसाल दी है कि मसलन जहाँद का अगर वक्त आ जाए फाइनेंशियल सपोर्ट सिर्फ पार्टिसिपेशन की बात नहीं है फाइनेंशियल कंट्रीब्यूशन भी अगर करना हो जहाँद के लिए तो औरत के लिए वाजिब नहीं है चाहे वो मालदार क्यों हो जबकि मर्द पर होगा इसी तरह से फॉर एग्जांपल मेंटेनेंस की बात हो रही है नफका बीबी पर वाजिब नहीं है कि अपने को मेंटेन करने के लिए अपने बच्चों को मेंटेन करने के लिए हस्बैंड को मेंटेन करने के लिए अपनी आमदनी और इनकम से कुछ खर्च करे चाहे तो कर सकती है अक्सर वेस्टर्न सोसाइटी में होता ही है हर हस्बैंड लोग अप्रिशिएट नहीं करते हैं, वो अलग बात है लेकिन बाहर इस्लाम ने कहा है कि ये ये जिम्मेदारी husband ki है वाइफ नहीं है। Even if she is earning या उसके पास inheritance से دولत आई है, उसकी जिम्मेदारी नहीं है, ये जिम्मेदारी शोहर पे डाली गई है। वाला आले ये का मतलब ये है कि अगर कोई liability आ जाए family पर, कोई sue कर दे किसी बात पर भी, तो वो liability भी जो है औरत पे नहीं जाएगी इस्लाम में, � امام کہتے ہیں چونکہ مرد پر فاننشل برڈن زیادہ ڈالا گیا ہے لہٰذا جب انہریٹنس کے تقسیم کی بات ہوتی ہے تو اس میں ڈبل شیر دیا گیا ہے بیٹے کو اور ایک شیر دیا گیا ہے بیٹی کو ظلوات پڑھنے ایک پار اور یہ سوال تھا اور یہ جواب امام نے دیا بہت ہے laken uske baad jo hua interesting jawab i said to myself he's not talking verbally now he's just thinking about it in his own mind <laughs> I started thinking about this, that others have narrated to me, the people who have been hearing the hadith of the sixth Imam, that there was a person by the name of Ibn Abil Awja who asked exactly the same question that I have asked here. He asked that question to Imam Ja'far as-Sadiq alayhi salatu <coughs> And the answer that the sixth Imam gave was the same answer that the eleventh Imam gave to me. So he's just thinking about it. And Imam basically looked at him. This is why I'm saying, you have to say that this is a part of the word. You have to say that this is a part of the word. The Imam saw him and said, Yes, this is the question of the Ibn Abil-Aujan. If you are thinking of your mind, یہ وا صحیح ہے یہ وہی سوال ہے جو ابن ابلوہ نے ہمارے جت سے پوچھا تھا والجواب من واحد اذا كان معنى المساله واحد ہم لوگوں میں سے کسی سے بھی اس سیم سوال کرو گے تو ہم میں سے جواب ایک ہی ملے گا ilm ka dariya jo this stream of you know, knowledge that streams you know flows jo hamare aakhir hai aur jo hamare wa awwaluna wa akhiruna fil wal amal wal amr sawa hamare pehle imam ya aakhir imam ho ilm ki baat unke امر کی بات ہے جب وہ حکم دیتے ہیں تو وہ سب پر لاگو ہوتا ہے اس میں ان کا سٹیٹس سب ایکول ہے کوئی فرق نہیں ہے ولرسول اللہ ولامر الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فضلهما اف کورس رسول اللہ, المؤمنین, course, رسول اللہ المؤمنین کا مرتبہ کچھ اور ہے ان کا مقام کچھ اور ہے صلوات तो यहां से अंदाजा होता है कि ये जो बात होती है कि ہمارے آئمہ کو خداوند عالم نے یہ طاقت دی ہے کہ ہمارے دل و دماغ کی بات کو بھی وہ جان سکتے ہیں یہ کوئی اگزاجریشن کی بات نہیں ہے یہ خداوند عالم کا لطف و کرم ہے یہ علم غیب کا ایک ڈائمنشن ہے جہاں خداوند عالم نے اپنے خاص بندوں کو دیا ہے بس انہی مختصر بیانات کے ساتھ ہم اس محفل کو ختم کرنا چاہیں گے خداوندہ عالم کی بارگاہ سے دعا ہے خداوندہ اس قلیل عباد کو قبول فرما ہمارے گناہوں کو بخش دے ہماری توفیقات میں اضافہ فرما خداوندہ شیعان علی جہاں بھی ہیں ان کو اپنے حفظ و امان میں رکھ خصوصاً ایران اراق اور لبنان میں جس سچویشن ہے خداوندہ وہاں شیعوں کو اپنے حفظ و امان میں رکھ اور جتنی تکفیری افواس کی سازشیں ہیں ان کی صلاحیت ہیں ان کو نیست و نابود فرما امام کے ظهور میں تاویل فرما ربنا تقبل منا انک انت السميع العلیم